So up to this point, we have spent most of Lent walking alongside Jesus through the Gospel of Luke as he makes his way to Jerusalem and the cross. Today, one week before Palm Sunday, we find ourselves back in the Gospel of John. The last time we were in John, Jesus changed water into really good wine at a wedding, stunning everyone, including his own mother, with extravagant abundance. In chapter 11, the chapter just ahead of our reading, Jesus comes to Bethany after learning that his friend Lazarus has been ill and has died. Jesus weeps with Lazarus's grieving sisters and then stands outside the tomb and he insists that the stone be rolled away, even as Martha, Lazarus's sister, warns that the stench of death will be overpowering. Jesus calls for Lazarus to come out, and he does, and following Lazarus's return to life, the religious leaders grow increasingly anxious, and Jesus goes into seclusion for a few days with the disciples, and that's where we meet him in our text for today. I invite you to listen as I read from the beginning of the 12th chapter of John, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Together, let us listen. For the word of God. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound, of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained. This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was a child, my family sat in the same place in church most Sundays. Sound familiar? (laughs) We sat in a pew almost in the back of the large sanctuary, one similar to this one, over somewhere over there on the lectern side. I can easily remember straining to see babies being baptized. I can picture my mother handing me a tissue from her purse and shushing me when I sniffled too loudly for her liking. I can also hear her and my Aunt Rhody, yes, I had an Aunt Rhody, singing hymns enthusiastically off-key. I remember my father greeting friends and strangers before and after worship with his warm smile, easy laugh, and maybe a corny joke or two, just as I'm guessing he did in Nashville this morning. And I remember Mrs. Taylor sitting in front of us. Mrs. Taylor was one of the most glamorous women I knew. 
She was and still is beautiful, tall with perfectly coiffed strawberry blonde hair. She wore bangles that jingled as she spoke, and she wore perfume. Jungle gardenia, I think it was. That was over 40 years ago, but when I close my eyes, I can almost catch a whiff of that perfume, and I can almost hear the jingling of those bracelets, and I am once again a child enveloped in love and warmth and beauty. In our text for this morning, Jesus has returned to Bethany, to Lazarus's house for a dinner. It seems a small thing to give a dinner party for the man who brought you or your brother back from the dead. But isn't it difficult to imagine any gesture that could fully respond to such a gift? A gracious thank you and a good meal is as good a way as any. We're told that Martha is serving and that Lazarus is at table with Jesus, and then Mary comes on stage. She carries a jar of perfume, approximately 12 ounces of costly perfume. She pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes it away with her hair. We hear Jesus' response, and we hear Judas's response. Everyone else remains silent, but it's not a stretch to imagine that the others are shocked as well. It's an outlandish gesture, a wasteful, extravagant, over-the-top way to say thank you. And it's also an intimate boundary-trouncing act. An unmarried woman would only let her hair down if she were in mourning. Women, as a rule, kept their hair tucked away except around their husbands. Jesus interprets Mary's act as more than a thank you, of course. He reads her action as a foreshadowing of his death. So looking back as a gesture of thanks and looking ahead in anticipation of Jesus' impending death, Mary's extravagant, even outlandish gesture is an act of unbridled worship and adoration. It's messy, it's excessive, it's just not done. As you know, we learn about Jesus and his life through the narratives recorded in four Gospels. The Gospels are not transcripts of every moment in Jesus' life and ministry. Not everything is written down. They are the authoritative and inspired witness to the life of the one who comes to bring life. And each Gospel offers different stories, different accounts, different emphases. Only a few stories show up in all four. We only hear about Jesus' birth in Luke and Matthew the parable of the lost sons that we heard last week appears only in Luke. The cross and the empty tomb appear in all four, of course, as does an account of a woman anointing Jesus with perfume. So the early Christian community must have found something especially powerful in this story. Something about this woman's witness captures the early community's attention. So to understand the Jesus story fully, this story must be told. It must be written down. The text makes it clear that the scent of that perfume fills, even fills to the full, the room. There's no escaping the scent of that perfume. There's no escaping this excessive, extravagant, beautiful act of worship. In stark contrast to the stench of death that Martha warns Jesus about at Lazarus' tomb, just a few verses before, 
And the pall of death that lurks just outside the doors, just beyond these verses, this act of devotion overshadows and overpowers all else. Even as Judas makes a half-hearted plea for the poor, the perfume lingers. It's not as though the poor do not matter. They always matter, especially to Jesus. And Jesus expects the poor to matter to his body, his church. In fact, Jesus assumes that his church will always be shoulder to shoulder with the poor, the marginalized and the left out. That's a given. That's the context. Always. So it is in the midst of this context that Mary's gesture captures everyone's attention. This gift to the one who gives life is remembered. This act of over-the-top worship and gratitude still lingers. I still have fond memories of Mrs. Taylor, not strictly because of her glamorous ways, but because of the way she was and still is with me. Because of the love she poured out and still pours out whenever she sees me. The scent of her perfume reminds me of her glorious smile, of her insistence that I must be her very own child because of our similar hair color, and her conviction that I was one of the most beautiful children she had ever known, even when I was a shy, beyond awkward 11-year-old. The lingering scent of her perfume evokes powerful memories, and that perfume reminds me of the strong, unembarrassed hug she gave me on my parents' front steps as my mother lay dying. When many people were hesitant and even afraid to visit, the lingering scent reminds me of an over-the-top, extravagantly loving woman who wanted me to know beyond all else that I was loved and treasured. The power of that love lingers, stronger than death, stronger than the passage of time. In a few moments, we will gather around the table where we will share a meal. I should say right up front that I recognize that the crunchy wafer, very crunchy, and the few sips of juice do not offer the fragrance of freshly baked bread or fine wine. My hunch is that you can imagine that heavenly scent without stretching your imagination too far. That fragrance has a way of lingering, after all. I recall the distinct smell of yeast rolls or granola bread rising under damp tea towels in my mother's kitchen. And that fragrance is forever linked with the sense of devotion, adoration, and abundant love. Dr. Stephen Shoemaker tells the story of Ann Smith, who founded the Charlotte Food Rescue. With her station wagon stuffed with donuts on her way to a shelter, Smith stopped by what is now the Bank of America Tower in Charlotte to appeal to some of the bank's executives for support. He writes, as she rode the elevator to the top floor, someone said, you smell like donuts. She laughed and told them why. And by the time the elevator door opened, she had recruited another. Dr. Shoemaker continues, The fragrance of love's actions is carried on the wind to places we never see. The fragrance of love's actions is carried on the wind to places we never see. Perhaps that's one of the ways Judas misses the point of Mary's act. 
It's not a question of either service or worship. Rather, it is a matter of both and. The two are intertwined. Love is known not simply in the writing of checks, but also in the fragrance of meals being cooked in the kitchen for guests at the night shelter. The scent of flowers given to a grieving widow from a neighbor's garden. The smell of library books curated for children in the education building. And the scent of a precious baby's head dripping with water from the font. With each of these, we are reminded of the beautiful gift of life, life that is abundant and good and gracious, life that is ours in Jesus Christ. You and I know that we live in a world filled to the full with the threat of death and despair. War rages in Ukraine and Ethiopia, among other places. God's beloved children suffer and die from violence, disease, and hunger in our own backyard and a world away. Families and communities are ripped apart by addiction, mental illness, hatred, suspicion, cynicism, and fear. Just as Mary's gift did not change or soften the brutal suffering and death that lay ahead for Jesus, our gathering for worship in this light-filled space does not erase any of the world's suffering or our own heartbreak. Mary's gift lifted up the beauty of Jesus' gift. Not apart from God's beloved world, but in the midst of that world and for that world's sake. In much the same way, the beauty we encounter in worship gives us strength and courage to engage and embrace God's beloved world with the love, hope, and beauty we encounter here. Like Mary's poured out perfume, that love, that hope, that beauty remind us that the stench of death cannot and will not stake a permanent claim on us. The light of the world. The word of God, Jesus Christ himself, is the author of our life and the center of our worship. And his devotion to us lasts and lingers. For Christ has staked a permanent claim on us. In him, God shows death the door. In him, the fragrance of life fills us in our lives to the full. In Jesus Christ, we are given life, excessively, extravagantly abundant life. One might say, if one were a Presbyterian, that Christ gets a bit carried away, as does Mary. But it is my hope and my prayer that we might get a bit carried away ourselves too, that our life together is and will be an excessively, extravagantly abundant response to Christ's gift to us. It is my prayer that our worship and our witness in here and out there will fill the world to the full with the scent of faithful devotion, with beautifully extravagant love, kindness, and generosity. And by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, may the world catch a glimpse of Christ in us as we boldly remind everyone everywhere that they are deeply extravagantly adored, just as we are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.